welcome to Wheat Beats Word here on Real Agriculture for Wednesday, June the 7th. On this episode of The Word, oh my gosh, it's dry. Yes, there is a lot of smoke in the air. And wow, Paul, you'll be happy. I am not going to spend much time on anything but questions, 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 and things that we need to deal with in the next few days. Okay, then let's get to it. But to begin with, please be safe. Exeter Agribusiness Meeting, just a great session on Tuesday morning. So many people there, so much great information, great discussion. But beside me, a young agronomist talking about a grower who was trying to save a second or two. The tractor was moving. Someone else was driving. They jumped on the step. They missed the step. They went under the tires. The poor person driving the tractor cannot stop it quick enough. Just can't happen. So in order to save two seconds, we end up in the hospital and hopefully okay at the end of it. But wow, please, Always, always, always take the extra second. Think twice. Act once. Be safe. Your health matters. In fact, it's the most important thing. So please be safe. All right. Let's move on to the next. I hate starting with downer stories, but be safe, doggone it. Okay. Yes, it is dry. And in fact, it is so dry that almost for sure, all we talk about is how dry it is, how there's no moisture, the wheat's, you know, so people have just given up on the wheat crop. Do not give up on the wheat crop. It's not done, dang it. But it's so dry. I, I hope once everybody starts talking about things like that, generally, that's when things change. So I'm counting on the rainfall this weekend to change these things. Meanwhile, we do have to know that it's dry and manage accordingly because management does change when you're in really extra dry conditions. The other thing is the smoke. Man, it we first got it from Alberta. Now we're getting it from Quebec. The forest fires and the impact that has on such a big area across this country is just unbelievable. Normally, when I'm out scouting fields, the sun goes behind a cloud and you just go, oh, that's so much cooler. It's like a 10 degree Celsius difference. The sun comes out again. It's like, oh man, ugh, it's hot. I, I mean, I love scouting fields. I love sunshine, but wow, it just makes such a difference. Now, no clouds, totally sunny, and it's like the sun is just never bright because of all the smoke we've been having in the air for a relatively extended period. And what does that do for crops? Well, one of the questions that I got asked on Twitter was, does the smoke have sulfur in it? Like, do we reduce our sulfur applications because of all the smoke in the atmosphere? Uh, yeah, the answer is yes, it has sulfur dioxide in it. It also has some nitrous oxide in it as well, which, you know, if it ever rained, could bring some of those down. Uh, by the way, we do get dry deposition of that sulfur, so we will get a little additional sulfur, but that's a long-term thing, and how much we get, I really don't care, because what it does is it reduces the photosynthetically active radiation and that is all bad. We need, in particular, we need the wheat crop because it's in grain fill. The winter canola crop, the winter barley crop, they should be flat out. 
Really? They are not flat out. They simply are not flat out. They can't be flat out because they're not getting enough solar radiation. Interestingly enough, Dr. Dave Hooker, always the, the purveyor of the excellent science, saying, yeah, all the studies show if you are shaded, and effectively the smoke is shading the crop, if you are shaded, it reduces photosynthesis. If it reduces photosynthesis, it reduces yield, except one paper that he found where if you're under severe drought stress, that shading, because it reduces photosynthesis, it keeps the temperature down a bit, and it actually means you need less water to cool the plant, less water for photosynthesis, that sometimes that shading under severe drought can be a little bit of a benefit, maybe not at least nearly as much as a negative as you think. So uh, it's kind of a funny, it's a, it's, a, it's a really odd way to look at it, but maybe the smoke is helping that winter wheat crop slow down a bit. Mark saying it's taken a long time to pollinate. Yeah, cooler temperatures, cold nights, all those things help. And maybe as we as we have these dry conditions, until we get that rainfall, dang it, maybe we'll, we'll hope that the smoke is helping that wheat crop. The other thing is, wow, like all the stuff going on out there, soybean emergence, corn emergence, uh, weed control, the, the wheat crop with great cracks in the ground, nitrogen applications, multicolored wheat. It just astounds me how a well-timed rain can solve many sins. And we just have not had that well-timed rain. So gosh, let that rain come. All right, going to move on. And yes, we did have some frost damage. Mark tweeting out some pictures of frost damage wheat. Uh, Chad Anderson sending some pictures of some frost damage barley, but really, really minimal. So that's a good thing. What's interesting is that winter canola crop, man, it was in flower. You would have thought it was highly susceptible, but as of today, the winter canola crop for a lot of growers looks like it may be the Cinderella crop this year. It's short, but gosh, it looks awesome in terms of pod set and all those things, so that, that'll be pretty cool. Talking about short... Wow, plant growth regulators on wheat this year. It turns out it's a short wheat year because of the cool temperatures, because of the dry conditions. We just did not get stem elongation. And the plant growth regulators, we may not have needed them. We couldn't know that at the time. We're not sure yet. We're not through grain fill. But wow, they have done more shortening than normal under those weather conditions. Often I'm seeing at least four to six inches of shortening. Ah, shoot. Every once in a while, you get things work too well. Uh, I think plant growth re regulators work pretty well this year. Okay, move on. Cereal leaf beetle. If you are in a typical cereal leaf beetle area, this is an alert, alert, alert. Get out there and scout. My great technician Shane in his wheat field in Seaforth, which is a hot spot for cereal leaf beetles, saying, wow, Peter, I don't think they're at one, st one per stem. That's the threshold, one per stem. But they're close, and they are small, and dang, there's way more there than I would like to see. So scout the threshold is one per stem. You have to include the adults as well as the larvae. The adults are much tougher to count. But the other challenge is without matador, because matador or actually all the Lambda Halerthan products, uh, lamb, um, matador silencer, I can't remember all the generics. We can't use them on wheat this year. Cannot. 
So that means we really don't have any registered products, but in the U.S. they would use delegate, and here we can use delegate for armyworms, so there are some potential options if you also have armyworm out there with that cereal leaf beetle. Okay, I want to move on and talk about weed control, but before I get there, oh gosh, we just got word that the ragweed that is now group 14 resistant some of those populations are also resistant to group 9, which is glyphosate. So we now have ragweed populations resistant to the group 2 chemistries, so the pursuits and uh, that group of chemistries, the group 5 chemistries, so the metribuzins, group 9, which is glyphosate, and group 14, the reflexes and the blazers of the world, so, uh, and cross-resistance to at least three of those groups. It is getting tough to control ragweed in soybeans without the technologies. And it really, what it's going to do is push us towards enlist and extend, but now we're only using group fours. Uh, it's, it's just, it's a real challenge. Not a big widespread yet, but by golly, be aware of that. So absolutely an issue. So weed control, and in particular weed control where we did not get the herbicide on, the pre-emerge, the soil-applied herbicide on prior to that Mar uh, May 19th rain. So a lot of the corn pre-emerge herbicides are working very, very well. I walk cornfields. I'm seeing more annual grass than I would like, but boy, the broadleaf weed control, for the most part, is pretty decent. And even with soybean herbicide, soil-applied before the rain, it's like that rain activated them. They are working pretty well. But where we are not getting good control, where we pre-plant incorporated after the 19th, or we just didn't get quite enough rain to activate them, the weed pressure can be very, very, very significant. When we don't get activating rain, we still get 70% control, but that's not good enough. And we are finding ragweed, this, this you know nemesis ragweed coming from two inches deep. We're also seeing a fair bit of lamb's quarters breaking through. And in IP soybeans and edible beans, they are the two tough weeds to control. Great discussion at the agribusiness meeting. And Rob Miller from BASF giving some super hints. We have to control those weeds and they're small. Get out there and scout. If ragweed has four leaves, it's getting too big and it's getting there fast. So be on top of spraying those. Generally speaking, we're looking at products like Reflex, uh, like Blazer and uh, Bazagrand, perhaps Classic, Pinnacle, some of those those chemistries that we're going to go in there and use, but they all work better when those weeds are small, particularly the reflex and Bazgran or reflex Bazgran tank mixes that we would use when we have both ragweed, that would be the, the blazer or reflex, plus lamb's quarters, that would be the Bazgran component. Man, we got to be there when they're small. Also, spray in the heat of the day. Yes, you will get more injury on the beans. We don't care. You've got to kill the weeds. Upper end of the surfactant range. If there's a range on the surfactant, keep the surfactant, the non-ionic or the, the whichever surfactant they recommend, use the upper end of the label rate. Make sure you have the right surfactant because a non-ionic surfactant is different than uh, an oil blend surfactant is different than, they're all different. Make sure you use the right surfactant. Some labels will suggest UAN or AMS, 
added to the tank to help control the weeds that again it heats things up but go to the upper end of that label rate because we we got to get enough burn to get control of those medium droplets we also need coverage so we need medium droplets there's a great article we'll link it in the post on field crop news from 2015 mike cobra went through all of the different weeds and all of the different post-emerge products for ip soybeans and edible beans and rated them for control of specific weeds that's really helpful i'm seeing in my own travels a lot more prostate knotweed than we would normally see that is a different control option than the average ladies thumb for example you'd say well the related species should be the same not we're also seeing a lot more spreading atriplex it's easy to confuse with lambs quarters know the difference big difference in how you control them and big difference in how easy they are to control the last on weed control is don't forget off-target movement. Man, uh, already we're hearing some drift concerns. If you're spraying beside a sensitive crop, know which way the wind is blowing. It's cooler now, so that's a bonus for spraying some of the dicamba products, plus less inversions. The smoke actually means less inversions, but use the ingenious spray tool if you are spraying a dicamba product. I think it's a really good option for helping make those decisions when's appropriate but off target if the wind is blowing towards a sensitive crop you drift they all drift and yeah bazagran blazer reflex the contacts they don't drift very far but they can still drift a little bit and still cause damage so just let's keep that spray at home last before we move off of herbicides lontrell we have like lots of discussion about Lontrell, excellent herbicide. We really like to use it when we have perennial sow thistle, Canada thistle, it just seems to be better. It's super dry. If it stays super dry, in Western Canada, Lontrell will carry over two years. And the first 30 days are the most critical in terms of how quickly that herbicide breaks down. So if it stays dry, man, watch lawn trail rates. It's a great herbicide, but we want to be able to grow soybeans after that corn next year. And so you might, like we normally want to push that rate up to get better south thistle control. I think we want to keep that rate reasonable on the lawn trail. Maybe we up the glyphosate in a corn crop a little bit more. Remember, lawn trail, by the way, is for corn. I've switched from soybeans to corn here. But just be careful on the lawn trail rate. We don't want to get into carryover issues. And hopefully we spray it and it rains and it's no issue. But just be cognizant of that. Okay, I got to move on. The next question is corn nitrogen. And so it's super dry. And you kind of go, well, how does that impact your nitrogen applications? Mark emailing me that question saying, okay, I have 30 pounds of nitrogen on up front. Does that does the fact it's dry change my nitrogen applications at all? Gord saying, Peter, I have no nitrogen on whatsoever. Uh, you know, what do I do from that standpoint? So first off, a great article in the Ohio, the Ohio State University newsletter, the corn newsletter, that's what they call it. On a dry year with reduced yield potential, we're not reduced yield potential yet, but on a dry year, oftentimes you think, yeah, we'll cut back nitrogen rates. Don't do it on a dry year because the nitrogen moves with the water and because on a dry year, root growth of the corn crop is reduced. It's tougher to grow roots through 
marginal moisture in the soil than it is when the soil has good moisture. So we get less root growth, we get less nitrogen movement, and it means that you have to keep your nitrogen rates the same. Not more nitrogen, but keep the nitrogen rates the same because you just won't get as good use efficiency. That's, that's really interesting. Next, if you're side dressing, if you're like Mark and you've you got 30 pounds of nitrogen on it planting, you're going to go in there with the side dresser. If you can, and it's not easy, I'm not saying it's like it, you just got to get your brain around how you might do this. But if you can get that nitrogen a bit closer to the row, so instead of putting it you know, in the center of the row, maybe you move over so that we're 10 inches away from each row as opposed to 15 inches away in the center of a 30-inch row, then it's just that little bit closer. It can move easier to the roots, and the roots can grow towards that nitrogen band more easily as well. Now, if you're side dressing on, on waist-high corn, you put it in the middle of the row, otherwise you cut roots off. But trying to keep it a little bit closer to the row is probably a good thing. And get it into moisture. So surface applications, Y-drop applications, they need rain to get them into, the, into that soil where the roots can pick them up. If you're side dressing at, at this stage and lots of growers out there side dressing, make sure that you're, you know, you got that coulter running, your pencil jet injection, you're getting it down there two inches. Wait a minute, two inches of dry soil? That doesn't work. We really need to get that down into moisture, so we want to have it three, four inches deep so that it's in the moisture where it can actually move to that, that corn crop. Gourd with no nitrogen on the corn. Oh, gosh. The easiest way to lose yield on a corn crop is to short yourself for early nitrogen. In Emerson's Nafziger's work, you take a six inch wide zone, six inches deep, you sample that for nitrate, you need 50 parts per million. If you have no nitrogen on, yeah, get some nitrogen on immediately. Figure out how, whether you stream it on with 28, I don't care, but get it there. Hopefully we get rain uh, this right away to, to get that into the soil and make it available. One last quick thing, boy, the, the corn planted tough. You know, it came up fine, it looked okay, and now it's starting to grow its secondary roots. So those nodal roots that the corn plant lives on the rest of the year, and if it's planted tough, those nodal roots are hitting the sidewall, and it's just like brick because it's dry, and they are stalling, they are falling behind. I am a little bit worried about a rootless corn syndrome in some of those situations, but, but a rain, once again, a well-timed rain would solve that. If you're seeing those symptoms where it's just stalled, boy, that's probably because the corn was planted tough. Nothing you can do about that now. I'm out of time, but I'm going to keep going because I need to cover nitrogen on wheat. Doug asking, hard red winter wheat, do I put the Amidas on? Will it still make yield? Will it still make protein? Uh, Alan saying, oh my gosh, you know, we got to screw up on, on nitrogen. Do I put a little bit of foliar nitrogen on with my, my T3 fungicide? All right, a bit of foliar nitrogen with the T3 fungicide, you can never get enough on to do much for the crop. You risk damaging the crop at pollination. I'm out of that game. Growers have gone to two gallons of a liquefied urea, dissolved urea. They've gotten away with it. But what are you putting on? Uh, six pounds of nitrogen? It's not going to be enough. If you need that nitrogen, then either stream it on or Doug put it on with Amidas. If you see the rain coming, 
If you're short nitrogen, it will still add yield, but don't damage the plant during pollination because that's all bad. You, if you don't have a grain to fill, you cannot make more yield. The last thing I need to cover is soybean replants because there's tons of questions out there. Most soybean stands will be fine. But if you're on tough clay soil that has absolutely gone to cement, and it's weird because on the really heavy clay soils, in many cases, there wasn't that horrible a crust. But the trench itself just seemed to go to cement. And in many cases, even with some edible beans on a little bit tougher soil, I am t I'm getting growers telling me that they sit, the planter won't go in more than an inch and a half. That soil is just like cement. It speaks to why the corn roots are having trouble growing as well. But man, if, if you cannot get that soil, or pardon me, that replant soybean into good moisture, then you might as well wait for a rain and see what happens, see how many more come up, although most of them have given up. But if they're, if they're actually, if they, I shouldn't say that, if they're still good and hard in the soil, they will come up. Brett's saying, I've got soybeans in dry soil. They're like they were in the bag. Man, when it rains, they will come up. In 1988, it rained on July the 17th. I hope we don't wait that long, that, uh, pardon me, that long this year. But those beans emerged on July the 22nd. Took them five days after the rain. Soil was warm. They were in perfect shape. They came up. So yes, they could still come up if we get rain. But man, if you if it's that hard that you can't get them into good moisture, it's pretty tough sledding to suggest that you should plant more soybeans. Other side, if you can get them into moisture, I had a grower ask me that, Peter, I can find moisture. They're struggling. What's the risk of having too many soybean plants there? The only real risk is white mold and lodging. And boy, if they emerge now, the risk of lodging goes down because they're going to be short. And if it stays this dry, there is not going to be much white mold. So both sides of that coin. With that, I'm so far over time. That's it. That's all on behalf of the team here at Real Agriculture. This is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, the 7th of June. Too much to talk about this week, that's for sure. But keep the questions coming. And hopefully I have something to talk about again next week. See you then.